So, so uh, Chris, when he asked me to speak, uh, I said, sure, no problem, you know, and called me back a couple days later, and he said, you know, I don't normally do this, but he said, we're in a series called The Next 20, right? And uh, he said, uh, could you maybe kind of, like, like stay uh, within that series? I said, sure, you know, what, what are you looking for? He said, well, maybe you just kind of talk a little bit about your journey, your, uh, you know, your story, your journey of faith, and and how it maybe um, uh, intertwines with uh, with Orchard Grove because it certainly does, and you might not you know be fully aware of that. So here's how I thought would would start this morning. I, I thought I'd tell you two stories. One's going to be kind of our story. I'll start back January 11th, 1961. I was born a small baby. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We'll we'll, we'll skip that because I don't remember those early years up to about 37. So those early years, I, I just, I've forgotten. Uh, when we came, we were missionaries in Africa. When we came back from Africa, we rented uh, a house for a number of years. Two years ago, you'll see the first picture, show the first picture up there. Two years ago, we bought that little house there behind us. Just leave that picture up there. That's, uh, that's us, that's Brent and Brock, and Michelle and I, of course, and that little house we bought was built back, I think, in the, around the late 1940s, early 1950s. A lot of steel mills around our area, and, and the guy who built it brought a lot of equipment, uh, brought a lot of uh, the materials from the steel mill, and uh, he, uh, you know, built that house uh, back then, like I said, late 1940s, early 1950s. Now, Here's the thing about that house. It was a great house. When we went in, it, was, uh, it, it looked nice and everything. But, but the one thing about it was it was built in the 1940s and 1950s. And uh, I remember taking my boys in there, and they were looking around, and they'd be in the kitchen, and they'd go, what's that thing on the wall? I go, well, that's a, that's a jack where they used to plug in a phone. He said, Pl- plug in a phone? You mean like to charge it? <laughs> no, not to charge it. Uh, the phone was there, and when you want to make a phone call, you got up and you stood next to the wall. I remember that, right? You stood next to the wall and you made your phone call, and uh, you talked, and you hung up, and right. And they said, "Well, you know," and they looked around. And, Wait, where do we plug? Where's the USB ports? <laughs> and so my my point is that the the house was great for the 1950s, wasn't it? Great for the 1950s. The the carpet, you know, the, the linoleum, you know, all those things, the kitchen, the bathroom. I'll show you some pictures here in a minute. It was great for the 1950s. But as we went in, in, you know, 2016, and we looked, we go, you know, it's a, it's a great house, and it's, it's nice and everything, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work for today. How many know what I'm talking about? It just doesn't kind of work for today. Show the next slide. Next picture. So that's kind of what it looked like. You see that, that that's about 1970s carpet. How many still have shag in their house? Anybody have shag? That's shag. That's shag carpet, right? And, and it's plaster everywhere. It was built, it was, listen, it was built really well. I think the guy who built it, I think he owned a nail factory or something because there are so many nails in this house. It is unbelievable. One time I took off a piece of trim about this big. There were eight nails in it. Eight. I thought, were there a lot of hurricanes back then or tornadoes or what? I'm not exactly sure. How about the next picture? So you can see that's a glimpse of the bathroom, right? Remember, remember those? The, it was a blue tub, a blue sink, a blue toilet, 
See the blue towel, the blue towel on the walls. Everything was that powder blue. The, the, the interesting thing is, is that like now there's an area down in Pittsburgh where they're kind of, uh, it's kind of retro. They're kind of uh, uh, building back up this area. And what I hear is there are a lot of millennials down there who are paying good money for that kind of stuff, like the, the cast iron tub and the matching toilet, and they're kind of going back to that. So someone said, you got to save those things. So I started trying to take it out. And how many have ever tried to remove a cast iron tub? Anybody? Let me, don't. Don't try. I tried for about four hours. I couldn't get it out, so I took a sledgehammer, and I just smashed the whole thing up, right? How about the next picture? So there we are. So we decided that as you walk in the house, just leave that picture up there for me. As you walk in the house, there was a, a living room, and there was a wall down the middle. Behind it was a dining room and a kitchen. Kitchen was old and kind of outdated, and that room was kind of small. So I thought, you know, that what we need to do to make this house kind of fit our needs to where we are, 2000 and, you know, 2017, and we need to do some... some we're going to keep the shell, right? We need to do some internal deconstruction. And so that's us. That's my boys. And uh, we're, we're tearing at that wall, right? We're tearing that thing down. And because we want to open it up. We want to make it kind of, kind of more welcoming, a little bit bigger. How about the next picture? That's the bathroom. There's that blue tub, right? And, uh, you know, I took everything else out trying to save that darn blue tub. You know what I mean? I just decided, you know, I can't, I can't do it. How about the next one? Next one where it's gone. I finally just smashed it up, threw it out that window, right? So this is the process that you go through. Now, like I said, the shell, we kind of kept the same, and we kind of, you know, just, you know, went through the whole, that deconstruction, so you could get to some, when you start to build back. How about the next picture? So that's the opened up the kitchen. See, I took that wall out put a big uh, microlam beam up there to support, the, support the, the ceiling, opened it all up, and now they have a living room, kitchen, dining room there. Next picture. So we, we just leave that picture up now. So we did the, uh, the first floor, right? And we, we redid it all, and it was, it was fine. Now, our, our boys are uh, 18, uh, going on 19, and uh, the other one's almost 21. It'll be 21 in July. And they love having their, their friends over. And our house seemed to be, you know, just the kind of gathering place where everybody came. And we decided, listen, our house even now kind of, it, it's great because we redid the whole first floor. Uh, but it's, it's, our, our needs are kind of changing, right? How many experienced that in your life when your kids are growing? And, right, there's a time when they're young and you drive minivans. Who's still driving minivans? I was so glad to get rid of that stupid minivan. I was. I hated driving a minivan. You know, I couldn't wait for them to get older so I could stop driving a stupid minivan. So they get older. And we, 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 have to, we figure we have to do something different. So what we decided to do is, right now, decided to uh, expand the house. And so you can see here, I started to tear the roof off the house. Now, the first project, I had some help, right? Uh, a little bit of help here and there. My boys would help. And, uh, but for the most part, I kind of did it myself. It wasn't that big of, a, big of a deconstruction process. Does that make sense? Like it, wasn't, it wasn't huge. It wasn't like a major undertaking. 
uh, because of my experience in, in, in construction. And so I, I needed some help here and there, but for the most part, I did it myself. Th- this, this phase was requiring something bigger, requiring more, something that I just couldn't do myself. So I, I recruited some of my friends and my, one, my, probably my closest friend, he's a big guy. He's six foot four. Uh, he played for uh, the best football team in the country. Did someone say Detroit? The Pittsburgh Steelers he played for. Big, strong guy, you know. And, and so we had to actually, you know, take the, we're taking the roof off. And so we had these big 10-pound sledgehammers, and we're, we're banging at those boards, tearing it off. And we're talking about major deconstruction. Remember I told you that the first phase, the shell, the shell kind of stayed intact, right? It was just kind of internal, it was internal. We were doing some changes, kind of updating some things, but the shell kind of stayed the same. This was requiring the shell to change. And so I'm still in the process of doing this. Show the next slide. Tearing the roof off. So that's the side. I take the siding off. Go to the next one. So here is the roof completely gone. Uh, it took us probably three days to tear the roof off. And now, uh, along with, now, now, look at everybody, look at me for a minute. Don't start looking at slide. Along with, uh, when you're doing it like this, along with deconstruction, right? Because there's still some deconstruction to be done. There, there's some, there's some new construction happening at the same time. And, and even the new construction, if you see those, some of those walls, building some of those walls, I've been a builder my whole life, but you can't build a wall. You build them laying down, then you stand it up. You, you can't do it by yourself. Like, you need help. You need help in this construction process. And so that's, the, that's above the bedrooms. That's, that's going to be the second floor. Now I put a floor on top of that. It's going to be a third floor with a cathedral ceiling kind of looking down, right? And, and so this whole process is, is, is difficult. Show the next picture. That's the, the floor. That's the walls going up. And the next one. Now, I want you to just kind of focus on this for a minute. So when we tore the roof off, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. We tore the roof off, and, we, and it, was, it was three days of grueling work. It was so hard. I told you it was two layers of shingles. It wasn't plywood. It was one by. So, and the guy, I, I swear, if he didn't own a nail factory, he had stock in a nail factory because there were so many nails in this roof. And so we're tearing it off, busting it off, and we're, it's hot outside, and we're just throwing everything down down on the ground right there. You can see we had three massive piles around. And the dumpster was a good, probably 30 yards away. And so I, I recruited my wife and my boys. Their job was to, to take those piles and take them down to the dumpster and put them in the dumpster. Well, dumpsters cost money. And, you know, I wanted the, everything to go in there kind of nice and neat, right? And so they're taking stuff down there. And I see it's just all haphazard and filling up the dumpster. And, and I told them, I said, what are you guys doing? And I kind of got mad at him and yelled at him. And my, and, and my lovely, beautiful, kind, sweet wife looks up at me and says, you have no idea how hard this is. And here's what she said. All you had to do was just, anybody? All you had to do was just take it off and throw it down here. I'm thinking, all, all we had to do is just. This was like the hardest three days ever. Right? And so, yeah, 
we've gotten past that. There was a little tension there for a while. Uh, but here's the thing. Deconstruction is messy, isn't it? It just is. There's, there's, no, there's no two ways around it. Deconstruction is messy. And, and, and while we're doing the, the deconstruction, we're also doing some reconstruction at the same time. And here's what we're trying to decide. There, are, there were two-by-sixes for my rafters, and I'm trying to decide, do I save some of these? Like, are some of these worth saving? Or, or, or are they still good? I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. Pull out, you know, a couple thousand nails, and, and they'll be all right. And so we saved some of them. We kept them up there, and, and uh, we used them for, like, we, we, I have everything tarped right now. A side note, it's been raining since I left. And so the guy staying at my house sent me a picture. He said, Jeff, what do you want me to do? And he showed me a drip in my house. So the tarps aren't really protecting it. Uh, And so we saved some of those because we have them holding down tarps and so forth. And and then I thought, well, I don't know. They're they're, they're okay, but they're they're, they're okay for this function. But I'm probably going to get rid of them eventually. Are you following me? And so we're we're kind of throwing things away. We're deciding we're going to keep things and... So this is the journey that we've been on with our house. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make the house uh, fit our, our lives right now. That's what we're trying to do. Now, we know that, that we're smart enough to know that even our lives are going to change in the future, right? And so I'm thinking of trying to think of the future the best we can. But it's hard to do that because you don't exactly know what the future holds, right? We don't know if our kids are going to be with us when they're in their 30s, right? You ever see those movies, right? Failure to launch, you know, they're still at home when they're 30. I hope not. You know, I hope they're gone by the time they're, you know, now. (laughs) Uh, You know, go find their way in life. I love them, but I love them somewhere else, you know. So what does all this have to do with, with our journey, with our lives today? You know, most of us in here, probably when you were growing up, you were uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a faith tradition different than you are now. Can I see a show of hands? If you grew up in a, in a faith tradition different than now, like what I mean by faith tradition, you know, denominationally in that, in, in that way of speaking, right? I think most of us, right, grew up in a different way. I grew up, and I'm, by no means am I, am I saying this in a negative fashion, I'm just telling you kind of what the way it is. We grew up, I grew up Catholic. Now, I say we grew up Catholic, but we, I grew up Catholic in the same way that Olive Garden is Italian. You know, any Italians out there? You know, you don't call that Italian food, do you, right? So in the same way, we were Catholic, but I just, you know, we just kind of went through the motions and so forth, right? Now, here's the thing. When I was growing up in my family, that, that worked. That worked for us, Right? I mean, we kept our, it kind of kept our family together. We had a, a faith tradition. And, and, it, and it, it, it sufficed when my parents were raising us. We went to church on Sunday. We learned about God. And they talked about Jesus. And there was a lot of other stuff that was kind of added to it. And that worked for a time. And then I got to be uh, a teenager. And my father passed away when I was 17 years old. And I began to, uh, to ask questions, like, internally about life. About, you know, you're 17 and, 
you know, you're, you're in, a, you're in a, uh, an age uh, where you're starting to think more rationally. You're starting to think about, about all the things about life. You know, why, why am I here? You know, why do I, you know, I, I believe these things, but why do I believe these things? I was just taught these things. I was never, I never questioned anything. And so my father passed away. I began to just kind of ask uh, questions. I began to say, well, what's, the, what's the meaning of life? Because I... I was uh, a young boy who wanted to wanted my father to be proud of me, and so my life that I lived, I lived in large part, and there's nothing wrong with this. Lived in large part to make my dad happy, to kind of please uh, to please him, and uh, and then when he was gone, I wondered, what do I do now? And so I went off to graduate high school, went off to college. I played football in high school, went off to college to play football. At a, small, at a small Division three school called Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And I went through two weeks of training camp, and I remember, I remember thinking, you know, this isn't working for me. Because I'm, I'm, I, football was okay. I didn't love football. Uh, and I was here more to please my father than I was there for me. And so that... That put me on a quest for meaning in, in my life. And, and, and I found, uh, through somebody else, I found uh, uh, a, 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 different, uh, a different way in this faith journey. And someone started introducing me to, now I grew up in the Catholic Church, like I said, and we, although I don't think it was, uh, maybe it was against the rules, but we never read the Bible. I never read the Bible for myself. Everything that I knew about God came to me from other people what they told me. I never read the Bible for myself. And so here's the thing. If you were like me, when you, did, when you do read the Bible after, uh, after living like that, you have these, these preconceived ideas. You have a narrative of what God is like, don't you? Already. And so when you read the Bible, you impose that narrative on the Bible. And so you read it, right? I just read something recently. I love this, this, this phrase. It said this, we don't see things how they are, we see things how we are. We don't see things how they are. We see things how we are. And that is so true even of the Bible. And so isn't it true that you could, you could have read something in the Bible 10 years ago and read it now, and it means it, it looks different to you now. The Bible hasn't changed. What has changed? We have changed. We have grown. And so someone introduced me to kind of a different, a different way, a different way of understanding God and what the Bible means. And so at that time, I had to do some, uh, some deconstruction. I had to kind of take some things apart, dismantle some things that I kind of had in my mind to, so, so that I could make room for this new, uh, this new information in my life. That I could now, uh, and so, so here's the thing. The, the, go back to the house. The structure kind of stayed the same. Internally, I was doing some internal deconstruction and kind of fitting in this new information that I was getting. And so, and that, and those years from 17 up to, you know, up in my, my early 20s, that kind of worked, or mid, mid to late 20s, I mean. That kind of worked. That kind of fit, and it was helping me. 
And then, you know, uh, kind of our story, um, I went off uh, to Africa and I met Michelle's family and I came back and I'm just going to kind of fast forward now to when uh, I went to India, came back to Europe and I met uh, uh, Michelle's father because he had transferred fields there. I met Michelle, she fell in love with me, she proposed to me. You guys know that whole story. Um, Again, I'm fuzzy about those years. That's how I remember it. I could be a little bit off. Maybe you can talk to Michelle later on to find out if that's the way she remembers it. So then we get married and we go overseas and we're missionaries and we're working for Wycliffe Bible Translators. I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing more in my understanding of, of uh, just kind of a larger, a larger picture, right? Uh, we come back and the second traumatic thing that happened in our life is we lost a baby. So I lost my father when I was 17, then we lost a baby. Do you remember the basketball player from Michigan that you guys had come and speak here? And his, he lost his family in two different plane crashes. Do you remember that? You guys remember that? He, he made a statement. He goes, I've only had two bad days in my life. Two bad days. But that two bad days, he said, he lost everything. He lost his, all his family in two plane crashes. He survived both plane crashes. And, and I, I, I heard that. I thought, you know what? That's really the truth. I've only had two bad days in my life. I lost my father, and we lost a, a child. And, and in that process, I begin to ask questions again. I want you to know something. Questions are good. I was raised in a tradition where, where you, didn't, you, didn't, you weren't allowed to ask questions. You just had to, you just had to believe. You know, and, and, and that worked for a while, didn't it? That worked for a while. Uh, but it got to a place where I was growing in my maturity, and I thought, you know, what's wrong with asking questions? Shouldn't be anything wrong with that. And so Michelle and I uh, decided not to go back to Africa, and we thought, well, well, we'll start a church. That was a mistake. No, that was a, it was a good move. And so we started this church, but I thought, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it in a way uh, that I would want a church to be. And so through that process, I got reconnected with Chris. Chris and I were roommates in Bible college. And so over the past 10 years, Chris and I have grown so much in our relationship. And we have grown, Michelle and I, in our relationship with Orchard Grove. Now, if you're new here, you may not know this, but man, over the past number of years, I've spoken here uh, a lot, sometimes as many as six times a year. There's been many times when I'd be speaking here and I'd live stream back to my church. There have been times when Chris would speak and would live stream. Oftentimes when you'd have a guest like, like Bob Goff, we would live stream. Or when you had, uh, I wish I could remember his name, the basketball player, we live streamed that. When you had the surfer, we live streamed. So there's been this, this, this connection, right? Chris and I have gone to many uh, pastors' conferences together. And, and here's the thing about going back to the construction of the house. There was a time when I could do a lot of the work myself. But then it got to a place where I needed help. The same with my spiritual journey. There was a time when a lot of the work I could do myself, but there came another time when like, I needed help. And Chris was a, a great mentor, not was, but still is a great mentor in that area. And Chris and some others here, and a few back at home too, uh, to where I go to and, I, and they help me in both deconstruction, right? But here's why. Let me, let me, in case you're not following me yet, deconstruction is a thing that has to constantly happen. Do you know there was a time when, in American history, where slavery was 
was, uh, was uh, sanctioned by the church. Did you know that? I know you know that because Chris read a sermon one time in here uh, that was written in that time using the Bible to sanction slavery. Now, all of us in here today are abolitionists, I, I hope, right? That we believe, listen, that's wrong. But there was a time when people would open their Bible, the same Bible that we have today, would open it and read it and say, no, slavery is okay. The Bible never abolishes slavery. So there was a time when there were some people that had to do some major deconstruction in their, uh, in their understanding of the Bible. Right? Wouldn't you agree? Major deconstruction. Let me tell you, that wasn't, it's not always an easy thing. And there are sometimes when you need someone to come along with you and help you in that deconstruction process. You know, to help you, to walk you through it. And, and I think a lot of times I, I listen to uh, probably the majority of Chris's messages. We talk often. And there are still things today that I think that we hold to, right? Now, it's hard to understand what those are because you don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know. That's why it takes other people. My friend Pete always says this. He says, the two things that will change you most in life. Are you ready? Two things that will change you most in life. The books that you read and the people you associate with. Those two things. I tell my boys all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. We become like those that we hang around. Also, we become like the God we worship. If, if I continued in my understanding of the way, I love the song we sang, right? About God's reckless love. When I was young, Maybe you, maybe you feel the same way. When, when I was young, I didn't hear uh, talks like that about God's reckless love. Did you? I didn't hear, so, I didn't hear, I didn't hear songs like that. I didn't hear teachings like that. What I heard was, uh, you, better not, you better not mess up. You better watch out because God's, God will get you. You better behave. You better not sin. If you do, you better repent. Because if you die without uh, unrepented sin, right, what's going to happen? See, that's the narrative, right? That's the narrative that I grew up in. And it was okay for a time. It was okay in my journey. But there came a time when I needed to do some, some major deconstruction. Chris was a big help in that for me. Going through a traumatic uh, thing in my life was a catalyst that sent me looking for something different, something, something more. I knew there had to be more. And so I began to be introduced to God in a, in, a, in a new way. But it required for me to, to disassemble some things in my life. Now let me just tell you, this is a messy process. Just get, get a picture in your mind of those big piles of lumber around my house. That's what happens. You, you disassemble them and you think, do I, do I get rid of this? Or do I keep this? I just don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do with this. I'm hesitant to just throw it away because what if, it's, what if it's still useful? Are you following me? What if it's still useful? What if I still need this? What if I can take this? What if I can take this two by six and use it in the new construction? What if it's still valuable? In the same way, as you begin to, to question, which is a good thing. Now, how this fits in is Chris is talking about the next 20. 
Here's one thing I know. If you think you have God figured out, the minute you think you have him figured out, you can be assured of one thing, that that's not God. It's not him. Because we can, we'll never come to a place where we can figure him out. I love what Richard Rohr says this. It's not that God is unknowable. It's that he is forever knowable. That we continue to grow and to learn more about him. As we grow in our own life, as we mature in our own life, as we see the world changing around us. There was a time when I told you when people were certain, absolutely certain, that the Bible uh, sanctions slavery. There was a time when people thought the Bible said that the earth was flat. And there was a dome around the earth, and it's that dome separated the waters from above from the waters below. Because they read the Bible literally. And that's what it says. And they said, they read the scripture that says the, the sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it began. Well, that was that, they were certain that the sun rotated around the earth because the Bible said so. And then Copernicus and Galileo come along, and they say, hey, that's not true. That's not true. We're, the earth is actually not the center of anything, not even our solar system. And the church said, no, and they put them under house arrest, and they were going to kill them. They said, you can't say that because the Bible is always true. They had to change, they had to grow, they had to deconstruct, they had to realize, oh no, that's not the purpose of it, that's not, that's not why it's there. But it's hard. Do we, do we just throw that away? Does it not mean anything then? Is the Bible wrong? No, it's not wrong. What happens is, is we change. We change. We never see things how they are, we see things how we are. And as we grow, and as we mature, and as we move from from seeing things in mystical, mythical ways, and we grow and, we, and we, we think rationally and we think globally, right? And we have a different understanding. No, it's not right to own, and own another human being. No, never. Well, what, what's, what, what was happening with the Bible? Well, it was written at a primitive time. So we understand it for what it is, and we grow. And so here's the thing. Chris is talking about the next 20. I would encourage you as a church, like I, my church, is to be open, to be open. To say, I, I, I don't know everything. And I will never know everything. And I'm not going to hold on so tightly to things that, right, that may be, that may be, you know, may be wrong. They fit me for now. But as I grow... You know, I'm willing to let go of some things, to add new things to it. Are you with me? And so I'm excited about the next 20 for Richard Grove, for, for Michelle and I, for our, uh, our participation with you, our contribution with you. We don't know what the future holds, but we're excited about it. We're excited about all the different possibilities. And so Orchard Grove has meant a lot, I want you to know this, has meant a lot to uh, to us and the Freedom Life Center, helping us in our journey, helping us grow. And what happens is, is, is as we stay together and as we grow together, it's easier, right? We help one another deconstruct. We help one another reconstruct. And it's a great journey, a great faith journey.